Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to empower you with knowledge so that you can make better financial decisions in your life. I'm going to begin today with interest rates. You know, the housing market is seeing very, very, very few applications for mortgages because interest rates on mortgages have spiked to about 7.5%. And what's going on? Where are they headed? What's it going to do in terms of our economy? I also want to talk about something that is going on in the home reliability market for power. There's now a lot of options for you to at least keep the most basic systems operating in your house with the unreliable nature of the power market in so many places in the United States, leading to potential brownouts, blackouts, that sort of thing. There's now alternatives to a diesel generator, or a whole house generator. And I want to talk that through with you. Now let's talk interest rates. Interest rates were crazy low for 15 years in the United States. There was one thing after another that happened that led to the manipulation of interest rates down to abnormally low levels that you and I got used to. And you think about that 15-year period, if I was a saver, I got eaten alive. I mean, just destroyed. Because I couldn't earn anything on my money at all. At the same time, it was the most borrower-friendly market ever. Ever. I mean, crazy low rates. We've talked about ultra-low mortgage rates. We don't talk a lot about how cheap car loan rates were if you went to a credit union with rates in the ones for people with good credit scores. One point something percent. I mean, that's nuts. And so we had this unusual time, but we paid for it in a number of ways besides just savers paying. Think about what we went through from 2007 to about 2013 with the ugly levels of unemployment, the foreclosures in the United States, all of that as a result of the banking scandals that came to a head in 2007-8. And so it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it to have those artificially low rates. And then we went through another cycle of low rates because of COVID, where the Federal Reserve was manipulating rates down. Then we got this cycle of inflation. The inflationary cycle that was looking so dangerous a year, 18 months ago, whatever, that 
scary inflation has been broken, but the impact already happened. So even though inflation is heavily reduced from where it was, think what's happened. The, the prices we're paying for things are now higher, and only some of those prices are what they call elastic, that they'll go back down. Because once prices hit a level, they may not go up at all like they were before. But it's unusual in most product categories for goods and services that once prices have achieved, achieved, once they've reached a new level, they normally don't cycle back down. And we are looking towards an era with inflation somewhere two and a half to maybe two and three quarters percent is the trend line of where we're headed. That's what the bond market is pricing in. But the interest rates we're having now are going to be higher moving forward than what we've been used to over these last 15 years because of a couple of reasons. One, we're normalizing, where we're getting into interest rates that are more normal based on economic activity and the economy. And so we will see decent rates for savers. We'll see more expensive rates for borrowers, for mortgages, car loans, student loans, whatever. We'll see these higher rates. Credit card rates aren't really as interest rate sensitive as these others. They're much higher rates. And I shared with you recently this thing that bank credit card interest rates are averaging 22%. Credit union credit card interest rates averaging 12%. And it is not normal market-based pricing with credit cards because people don't take out a credit card intending to borrow on it. They just expect it to be a payment system. So they're not paying attention to the interest rates, which is why the banks make those so high. But there's one other factor that mixes into all this. And it's the huge national debt we have in the United States and the ongoing running deficits we're running in the United States. Those things, the cumulative debt and the annual deficits are leading to higher interest rates in our economy. And as long as the people who invest or save through bonds or bond funds are skeptical that the U.S. government will get its act together on what we're spending each year and our cumulative deficit, it's going to force us to pay higher interest rates on the U.S. debt. Because if lenders, which is what you and I are, big institutions, when they buy instruments like U.S. treasuries, bonds, bills, whatever, when you buy those, you have to anticipate the supply that are going to be available and how much is out there the supply we have to absorb, that has the effect of excess supply of debt means that the interest rates that have to be paid to attract people that will buy them has to go up. I mean, it's crazy 
how much economic benefit our economy would have if we got our act together in Washington and we got the federal spending versus revenue coming in under control. But unless and until we do, the whole economy suffers from higher interest rates. Again, beneficial to savers, harmful to the overall economy, and very harmful to borrowers and ultimate economic growth. So I hope at some point, as they refer to it in politics, we get enough adults in the room that they do something about the extreme budget deficits and the cumulative federal debt, because that is having a impact on what you and I have to pay when we need to borrow money. Krista? Laura in Florida wrote in with this, I have an obligation for $100,000 in tuition for my child. They charge 3%. Is that per year or how? how? I believe total. I believe okay. Total. Um, that would be scary if it's 100000 a year. That would be like having a kid at Boston College, no, right? No, it's actually more. More than 100000 a no, year? No, 100000 is more, as you know. Okay. Okay. I had an idea, and I wanted to know if you think it would be a good one. I have excellent credit, and so what if I apply for a 0% intro APR credit card, charge the monthly tuition to this card, and leave my cash in a 5% plus high-yield savings account? This way, I can make the spread of 2% and then pay off the credit card when the intro period ends. My husband and I would earmark this money for tuition and would never use it for anything but that. There is no risk that we would spend the money on anything else, and we would plan to pay off the credit card balance as soon as the intro period ends. Would you advise this? And if so, which credit card, as we could then earn rewards when paying off the balance? Thank you for all you do. Gosh, Laura, this is the second scenario someone has painted for me recently about comparing the cost of having to pay a credit card payment surcharge. I forgot what that one was for. And then yours with the tuition. And the reason this is not a slam dunk is the interest you earn on the 5% savings account or 5 plus percent, somewhere in the fives, is taxable at ordinary income tax. The fee that you pay a credit card company with a cash advance fee, the interest you pay to a credit card, not deductible. So... The spread is not the two points you're thinking it is, plus you're front-loading the 3%, which if you get into whole thing of net present value and all this, your net benefit of doing it is not valuable. It sounds better than it is because that 2% starts shrinking, that 2% spread shrinks, shrinks, shrinks because of the tax issue and that you front-loaded paying that interest up front or equivalent of interest with the 3% upfront charge. So I would pass, I'd keep it simple, and I'd just pay the tuition. I know I just took all the fun away, didn't I? Well, in the meantime, though, if you're paying the tuition over time, you can keep it in that account and pay it as you go, right? Well, it depends on if the tuition, you can pay it over time without paying fees. fees. You know, so many school systems now, colleges, whatever, you have to pay a fee that is basically imputed interest if you make installment payments on the tuition instead of paying it up front. Now, in the best situations, you get a discount for paying tuition 
all up front in one lump sum. Since you have the money, if there is a, a lump sum tuition discount, then obviously take advantage of that. That would get you some of the benefit you were looking for. Edward in Georgia says, I'm thinking about switching the traditional big brick and mortar bank to an online bank. At first, I was planning to keep my big big bank checking account, but I realized there's a fee to keep it open without direct deposit. My biggest concern with the online checking account is the non-traditional ATM access, but I know there are ATMs around me I can use without any fees. What is your advice on if I should stick with my big bank or switch to the online checking account? Right now, they're running a promotion. If you sign up and have qualifying direct deposit, they will give you $350. I don't know if that is still in effect, by the way. So, by the way, these are both big banks. They're not, uh, neither of them, one of the four giant monster megas. But you're talking about what they call a super regional, which is the step just below the four giant monster mega banks. And the bank your thing is switching to is Capital One, right? Yes, they're online. Capital One has both physical branches and the online only account. So in uh, certain parts of the country, they have physical branches and otherwise they market checking accounts nationwide, savings accounts nationwide. There's nothing at all wrong with using Capital One because they're likely going to offer you a much better deal on your account than you would have with the traditional big bank, not one of the giants, but a really big bank that is known for having really big fees. So I would think it would be worth it giving it a try and giving the Capital One bank checking account uh, go. And that used to be uh, Capital One bought a regional bank in the Northeast, which was pretty much everybody's favorite bank. ING Direct, right? Oh, no, ING no, was before no, that. What was the name of that bank? Anyway, they bought that one out, and I was I remember predicting on, I was then doing radio, predicting on the air that the bank was going to go straight down the tubes. It wasn't going to be the quality people were expecting, and we don't hear complaints about Capital One Bank like I expected. And we also, on Clark.com, if you, if you want to, see what free checking accounts are available. We have an article. It's clark.com slash free checking. So you can go right there. John in North Carolina wrote in and said, Clark, I want to travel to Europe for the first time in over 20 years, sometime in 2024, to achieve my lifelong goal of immersing myself in the German language and becoming fluent. But I've basically sworn off air travel due to the heavy environmental cost of traveling by jet. Is there a reasonably safe, comfortable, and economical way to get to Germany, or at least to the UK, by sea? How long would it take to make such a journey? I don't mind a voyage that lasts a few days, as I would welcome the uninterrupted time to work on my German language skills. So, first of all, you're a lot smarter than I am. I couldn't learn German if my life depended on it. It is such a difficult language. And it's so funny. I was just in Germany this summer again. And you look at those road signs and it's like they take eight words and they cram them together on the sign and they all look the same to me. It's like, oh man, not, (laughs) not a chance. Thank goodness for Google translate. What I love about Google translate now is you can hit a button and it will say it in the language that you want it to say it in with the proper accent on the words. And that's free by the way. But then I don't have to know the language like you're learning. So you can take repositioning cruises 
from the U.S. to Europe, where they sail at certain times of the year. They're moving a ship from Europe to the U.S., or they're moving a ship from the U.S. to Europe. Uh, The cycle of that usually is they go from the U.S. to Europe in the spring. They go from Europe to the U.S. in the fall. So you'd have plenty of time to learn German with going over on a ship in the spring, going back in the fall on a reposition. I'm not sure that the big cruise ships crossing the ocean are better for the environment than a jet, though. Not sure about that. And if you are concerned about the environment and you want to do something about that, one thing you can look at is the flights on Iceland Air because it's much better for the environment to have much smaller amount of fuel on a jet. They go from U.S. departure points to Reykjavik, You change planes in Iceland, or you can do a free stop over there. And then from Reykjavik to the continent, most of the planes are single aisle. They're low fuel burn, low environmental emissions in those planes. Because when a plane goes an ultra long stage length, like a nine, 10 hour flight, has to carry so much extra fuel. And then the weight of that fuel means the plane has to burn more fuel getting there that if you do one like the Iceland Air route, I bet it would be better for the environment, also pretty good for your wallet, versus doing the cruise ship repositioning crossing. And try to spend a day in Reykjavik. It's such a cool place. I love it there. One day is enough. You don't think three? Well, you could, but, you know, at least one day. It's a neat place to explore. It depends on the time of year or two. <laughs> so. but, uh, but people really, really enjoy going to Iceland. And I never made it when they still had the three McDonald's in Reykjavik. And they closed during the financial crisis. And best I know, they haven't reopened. I did one of those Iceland Air packages, which are very inexpensive. And I was worried about it. I took my mother and daughter. And it was great. We had single rooms. I mean, this was the smallest hotel room I've ever been in my life. But it was a super clean, nice hotel. We got a tour for free. It was very inexpensive. And I have to say, like, not a promo or ad here. I paid for it. And it was great. Can you believe that I've been all over the world, never been to Iceland? Oh, you got to go. <sighs> got to find a deal. Speaking of deals, coming up ahead, I want to talk about the new simple ways you can have your house kind of limp through a power outage that are growing in popularity, plus other things people are doing that are not so cheap that will run your whole house as a very viable alternative to getting a diesel generator or a whole house natural gas generator. We're going to talk that through. We had a big surprise over the intense heat that much of the country had this summer. There were so many experts in the energy industry who predicted we were going to have widespread catastrophic blackouts with the heat levels we were experiencing in the United States. And we didn't. Pretty much nothing terrible happened because of something that has come out of nowhere to provide new grid reliability in the U.S. There are what are called utility-scale batteries that first started being buzzed about them four years ago 
But now these things are becoming integrated into power supplies in the United States. And these giant batteries, and I've seen them. I saw a big installation in Florida of utility-scale batteries. The idea is in a non-emergency situation, they store power at times that charging them up is very, very low cost, generally from midnight to 6 a.m., and they're fully there ready to provide peaking power. If you're not familiar, on a really hot day or a really cold day, the demand for additional power is so strong that the price of power that we as customers end up having to pay goes unbelievably high. It can even be more than a thousand times normal rates for what's called peaking capacity. So now these batteries are playing two roles in the marketplace and being installed by utility providers around America and states that have competitive power markets, power generators are installing these batteries in big numbers. And they're now in about 30 states out of the 50 as part of the power system for those states. It's because the cost of these batteries has dropped 90 plus percent. So now something that worked in the lab is working in real life. And so this is providing more reliability than we've had in recent years. And during peak times, providing lower cost electricity. Because what happens is we have the ability to produce power at off-peak times that no one needs. So now the batteries take it, and then it's used for these emergency purposes or for times when demand is just really strong. And so this is a great thing for you and me in terms of both those things, price and reliability. But there's still issues with the power lines, the transmission of power, the production of power, and unexpected heat or cold waves. And then there can be storms that knock power out. So batteries can play a role in this too. And batteries are playing an affordable role and an expensive role in your own home or in your own business. So now these batteries that Tesla originally marketed to consumers and businesses, but now are available from several different companies. The original thing they were called was Powerwalls, was a Tesla brand name for it. But a number of companies make these batteries that you can install in your home. In a home, typically, if you have a garage in the garage, uh, for businesses, often they are outside uh, on a concrete pad. And if there is a power interruption, the batteries kick on right away in a split second, quicker than a natural gas generator can go on, or quicker than you fire up a uh, diesel generator, and they provide backup power to your home or business, allowing a business to continue to operate and allowing in a home for you to stay cool or warm or whatever it is you need to do. These are, though, not easy on the wallet solutions. But what is going on, and you'll see a lot of TV ads for it now, and I cannot vouch 
for the quality or performance of the ones that are being so heavily advertised on TV right now, there are portable battery-powered backup supply systems that are designed to run your refrigerator in your home. If you have an electric stove, run your electric stove. Run your lights in your house. If you have LEDs, they'll run LEDs up and down your house for many, many, many hours. And these are a potentially affordable solution that really came out of people who were high-end campers, who wanted to have the accoutrements of home when they were out camping in the wilderness, and they'd have these portable generators that really are best moved on a hand truck, but strong people or two people can carry one, and they will provide days of power to your refrigerator so you don't lose all the food out of your refrigerator freezer and provide lighting to your home. They are not strong enough to provide heating and cooling to your home. You may, depending on the size of one of these you buy, you may be able to run a uh, small space heater, hopefully won't pull too much amps, too many amps, and be able to run that and keep somewhere warm on a cold day, but not the whole house. What do these things cost? Well, I'm glad you asked that. These portable units that can run some basic functions in your home tend to be $1,500 to about $2,300. They are sold through the hardware outlets. They're sold at both Sam's and Costco. And of course, there are all these people pushing them on television. So batteries have become really a very important source of, obviously, power in many different ways and also vehicles. You know, on the West Coast of the United States, roughly 20% of vehicles being sold on the West Coast are now electric. And it's the largest vehicle market in the United States is Washington, Oregon, California. It's because the batteries have become so much more affordable. And we're going to see that kind of adoption gradually over the United States. But whether you want an electric vehicle or not or anything like that, all the research and development going on with the electric vehicles has led to a lot of the benefits for the utility scale batteries, the big batteries for a home or business, and the miniaturization of these home backups, many of which that will also run solar panels to help recharge to stretch the amount of power those things can generate during a power outage. So are any of these things perfect solutions? No, but they're plugging holes in the electricity market, creating more reliability, potentially lower cost, and working as a last-ditch defense for you at your own home or business. Krista? James in Texas says, as a proud owner of a new Tesla Model Y, I was surprised by a couple of offers from Tesla after I made my purchase. Tesla offers car insurance at what seemed to be a competitive in price. Since Tesla cars have high safety ratings, I would expect that the insurance premiums would eventually be lower. Another offer in the state of Texas is Tesla Electric. They offer home electric service for about 14 cents a kilowatt, and for an extra $25 a month, there is unlimited charging 
10 p.m. to 6 a.m. I'd like to hear your thoughts about these two offers. So first, auto insurance from Tesla. This is something that is a bigger and bigger market for Tesla because a lot of auto insurers have not known how to price insurance for Tesla vehicles. And when they don't know, when the actuaries can't figure it out, they err on the side of higher rates. So Tesla has been able to come in and offer in many states where they're licensed to sell auto insurance on Teslas at a much lower price than you may find from traditional auto insurers. Is for Tesla Electric, that is an experimental thing in Tesla's home state, home state of Texas. Ultimately, it will be tied into Tesla's pitches where you buy electricity from them tied into having a solar roof from them. If you're not familiar with the Tesla solar roof, it is the actual shingles are also solar panels. You don't have the solar panels that are attached to your roof. The roof is one big solar farm built Pretty in. Pretty cool looking, I have to say. Have you seen one in person? I have, yeah. I saw one and I thought it was really I've seen cool. them in person uh, only a couple of times. And they are expensive, but look really neat. So, and then it ties in where Tesla's trying to own you so many different ways with the free charging as well. And that's the pitch to Tesla owners. And I think that because Texas is an open energy market, if Tesla does a terrible job as your electricity provider, you just fire them and get somebody else for electricity at a later date. I would be remiss if I didn't mention Tesla had a big price cut on the Tesla Model Y that you have. This is always a problem with Tesla is that Elon Musk will wake up one day and on X he'll say, okay, I'm cutting the price of this. So people who bought 10 minutes before don't get the new price. But it's not the same Y you bought. It's a lower range Y with a predicted EPA range of 260 miles. It's $43,000. And then you qualify for the $7,500 tax credit. So it makes a Tesla $37,000 approximately when you add in junk fees, things like that. And that's quite a deal for that automobile. William in Wisconsin says, I'm thinking of installing solar panels in my house through the Wisconsin Energy Program. It is a net metering program where the panels installed produce enough energy to match the electricity used. I would then pay a solar charge equal to the money saved. Is this a good way to go? So I've been asked this before about the Wisconsin program. I've read the terms and conditions. It sounds like a typical net metering arrangement. It didn't read to me in the agreement that you're entitled to basically free power by having it. There's no guarantee that I could figure out that you would pay for the panels and basically you'd net out free power. And so I don't think it's the slam dunk that you've read. I believe that panels with the federal tax credits and all the rest are a great long-term play. And as long as you're in a solid net metering agreement, where as you produce excess power, you're getting back credit against power you need to get from the grid, it will really pay off nicely for you, as it has for me. I've done very, very well in one of these net metering agreements, but it took 
a good while for the panels to pay off. I would say, based on my math, it took about nine years for me to get back the cost of the panels. And now I'm just on easy street. Joan in Indiana says, we just put in a level two charger for our new hybrid car. My husband wants me to turn the power off at the breaker box when done charging. I'm not sure this is good for the charger. What do you think? So I have a charger where I can do that. And I don't routinely turn it off. I know of no danger to just leaving the level two charger on. And I don't know what benefit there is. And my knowledge of what an electrician does is like none. So I'd really appreciate it if we hear any perspective posted from electricians or experts on electric vehicle charging that would answer this question of whether there's an advantage to turning the power off to the charger after you charge each time. Because again, I know of no specific reason why that would be a benefit, but I've heard this before. So I need to defer to people who are experts in the industry who can answer that for us and be a member of Team Clark and let us know. Come on, Clarkies. Okay. Well, remember this. Why are we here? We're here to empower you with knowledge so you will learn ways to save more, spend less, and avoid getting ripped off. And I hope you have an absolutely wonderful day.